Thomas, person of faith. That's the subject I have. I got a bit worried last week because I'd already decided I was going to look at Thomas and that particular subject. And then uh, John Arthur started talking about Thomas. And I thought, don't say too much, John. I won't have anything left to say. Well, in fact, what he said was a very helpful introduction uh, to uh, some of the things I'm going to say today. We talk about faith and maybe we talk about particular events that happen. At a particular point in our lives, we take this step of faith. If you look in scriptures, faith is very much a case of a journey. One of the prime examples is Abraham, who went on a journey from the prosperity of Arab Chaldees and Haran, where his father had moved to, to Israel, which at that time was really just a place of nomadic existence without cities and with places like that. Uncertainty. But Abraham knew that that is where God wanted him to go. The journey that God wanted him to take. And if you read through the story of Abraham, you'll find he didn't always do the right thing. Sometimes he took the wrong paths in his journey and had to come back to the right paths. But it's still a journey of faith. So when we talk about faith today, I want you to have this idea of journey in front of you. Now, as we think about Thomas, who is the subject today, we don't know a lot about his early journey. We know he, that he was called the twin. So we assume that he either had a twin brother or a twin sister. And I know from various things that a relationship with a twin can be a bit strange. Uh, and there can be competition between the twins. All those sorts of things can happen. I don't know what happened in Thomas's own life, how he got on with his twin brother or sister. We assume that he was a Jew and a devout Jew because all the disciples seem to have been. So he would have attended synagogue every uh, Sabbath, Saturday. He's probably very influenced by the teachers, the rabbis in the synagogue. He would have had to work. We don't know what sort of work it was. It may have been fishing, it may have been agriculture, it may have been uh, some sort of trading, it may be some sort of craft. We just do not know. But in those times, earning a living could be very hard. Harvest sometimes failed. If they were fishermen, sometimes there would be days when there were no fish caught. And all the time there was the responsibility of providing for a family who needed to be fed and clothed and sheltered. And I imagine there were a whole lot of ups and downs. Like all of us, he probably would have suffered bereavement of close relatives, but also maybe the joys of children being born in the family. And all this may be reflected in our own lives as we have gone through those sort of occasions 
And of course, those times can cause stress and strain. I'm going to actually think in terms of the stresses and strains of life, because we find this in the life of Thomas. I'll start by a mechanical engineering um, illustration. When I was at college, I did a degree in chemical engineering, but we had to do a bit of mechanical engineering as well. And it was called Strength and Properties of Materials, which actually also includes metallurgy. And we went down into the laboratory of the mechanical engineering department, and we saw an experiment which has been repeated many, many times. And in that experiment, there was a steel rod. And that was being gradually stretched in front of us. When I say stretched, of course, you couldn't see it being stretched with the naked eye. So to help us, they actually had rigged up a graph which showed what was happening at that time. And how as the weight came onto the and stretched the uh, particular rod, so it extended. And it extended more and more. And then they took the strain off and the rod went back to its original position. And they said that this is what happened. It's called the elastic region. Then it got to a certain point, which is known as the yield point. And you could see instead of a straight line, the graph started to curve. And when they had taken the particular stress off the rod, it did not return to its original position. It had been changed. It was, ne it was not the same as it was before. And this could be an illustration of our own lives. Sometimes when we take the ups and downs, we're not really changed. There's other times in our lives that happen, which may, for instance, be a bereavement of a close relative, where we are changed. We're not necessarily weaker. In some work cases, we may be strengthened by it. But it's a transforming thing. We are never the same again. Not only is the situation not the same again, but we aren't either. In those times, our orientation changes. We have a particular way in which we feel life is going. But then, because of what, is, what happens, we realize that we can't continue going in that way. I see this also with my own son and his partner. Nine weeks ago, was it? Yes. We had our second grandson. And how much that grandson has totally transformed the house in which they are. And also the lives of James and Tracy. They're never going to be the same again. Not only is the situation not going to be the same again, but they're not going to be the same again. Instead of the perspective maybe of their own careers 
and their own leisure time there's now a new perspective of a child in the family who they want to do well who they want to flourish and that they've got to give a lot of attention to and that's a good thing that can transform our lives but again even in those times there can be a feeling of disorientation so we've got thomas we've had his ups and downs and then somebody new appears on the scene and the person that appears on the scene is jesus a rabbi who speaks with more authority than all the rabbis thomas has spoke has heard before and a rabbi who says to a number of people including thomas follow me following that there were three years which totally transformed thomas's life and then before the first easter something happened it was the it was the death of a good friend called lazarus and it's actually a passage which we looked at last week but it's well worth looking again and jesus spoke to his disciples at that time so wendy would you like to read it so then jesus told them plainly lazarus is dead and for your sake i'm glad i was not there so that you may believe but let's go to him then thomas who was also known as didymus said to the rest of the disciples let us also go that we may die with him As I said earlier, when Jesus came, he totally transformed the situation, both in the people of uh, Galilee at the time and in the people of Jerusalem, but also as far as Thomas is concerned. And in one part of the scripture, the disciples said, we left everything to Jesus to follow you. And they, they, it was all the disciples speaking, so that included Thomas. I've already said we don't really know what, what, what Thomas's life was like. But it's probably a lot more certain than following Jesus over those years. And yes, we're talking about Thomas being a person of faith. Leaving behind the life that he knew, and to some extent the family who, whom he knew, was a real step of faith. A faith that led him on the next part of his journey but an uncertain journey just like the journey that Abraham had gone on many hundreds of years before was an uncertain journey but at least initially it was an exciting journey there were fantastic experiences Jesus healed people and other miracles were done like the feeding of the 5,000 the calming of the storm and other things as well But it was also a journey which led to strife. Thomas was aware of the fact that more and more Jesus' opponents came and confronted him day by day. There were conflicts though as well. And it became apparent that Jerusalem was a dangerous place to go to. 
for Jesus and also for his disciples. Instead of being surrounded by the followers, as was the case in Galilee, the people who were in charge in Jerusalem were very much the opponents of Jesus. And that passage which Wendy read, if you recall, says, let us go to Jerusalem. And this were the words of Thomas, that we may die with him. And so Thomas's orientation became one of, we have got to follow Jesus and it may well lead to my own death. Can you imagine the stress that that would have created in Tom's mind when he realized that? But he was a real person of faith because he was prepared to go with Jesus, even if it meant death. What are our own experiences, I wonder? Are the paths which God takes us down, which we'd rather not go on? They may be not paths of sacrifice in terms of dying, but they may be other sacrifices as well, of reputation of what we know, of what we're used to, of what gives us security. Sometimes Jesus does call us to go down those paths and to do so is a real step of faith. Sometimes we're brought up to realize our own sense of mortality. A few years ago, I had a particular problem as far as my urinary system was concerned. And I went, it was really painful. I had to get, uh, go and see an emergency doctor one Saturday morning at the time when he could do. He, because I'd actually got blood in my urine. And then he gave me some uh, particular antibiotic. He said it's probably a bacterial infection and it should clear up. And to some extent it did clear up, but a month later, I still had some symptoms. So I went to see my GP. They'd taken a sample and it was clear. And so she said to me, I think you've got to face the prospect that it could be cancerous. And I thought, oh no. At that time, I realized what my own mortality was. Of course, we know, we know it in the background that all of us will die if Jesus doesn't come before that. But it was a reminder of my own mortality. It didn't turn out like that, for which I'm very, very grateful. I went to, I had a hospital appointment within a week and they did a full examination. I had a CT scan a few weeks later and everything came out clear. And I was, and I was totally relieved. But I'd gone through that stage of realizing what I, my own mortality was. And I believe that many people including those who are listening today and are zooming in, will have had occasions when they've been reminded of that themselves. 
that can be a disorientating thing. It can be that point of stress, which I talked about, where we're not the same again. And it can be a state which time which leaves us a state of total disorientation. But God's desire and the aspect of a journey of faith is it's not disorientation, it's actually reorientation. It's realizing that we have to change the path we're taking and reorientate our lives to suit what God is saying. The second reading was actually to, um, at the time of the Last Supper. And it speaks of the feeling of disorientation of the disciples and of Thomas as Jesus seeks to comfort them. So this is what Jesus says. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back, take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. One of the aspects of the journey of faith is that you're not all the time knowing what is going on and there are times in our lives when we just do not know what is happening and that is particularly the case with the disciples now jesus was speaking words of comfort but it's clear they really didn't understand what jesus was saying jesus was saying about i'll prepare a place for you there's a house with many rooms but probably they were thinking yeah, but what's all that about? Houses, rooms, etc. They got used maybe to the idea that Jesus was going to die. It certainly seems from what Thomas said in the previous passage, that was the case. But now Jesus is not talking about death. He's going to prepare a place. And that place is where the father is. And what's all that about? Is Jesus really going to die or is something else going to happen? I have a feeling that Thomas spoke for them all when he said, look, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? A feeling of perplexity. And sometimes we think when we go through those stages that we're really not the faithful people that we should be. We're not the people of faith. I believe that the particular passage here is showing something different. And that is where we do go through those periods and that we can be strengthened by those periods. And we cannot expect to know everything at every time about what God's will is.
I wonder how many people have a clear sense of how things are going in their own lives at this time. And how many of us will maybe admit we're not too sure. And what is the answer to this? We don't know the way, but Jesus said, I am the way. What Jesus was saying to Thomas and the rest of the disciples was, keep your eyes on me. Keep following me. If you follow me, even though you don't know the direction that your life is heading, that will be a direction to the Heavenly Father. It will be the, uh, the direction to the house with many rooms. It's a direction which speaks about the relationship we have with Jesus and with God's Heavenly Father. I've talked about faith being a journey. Faith is also a relationship. It's a relationship we have with God. And because that relationship is a relationship where we can have peace. And when we go through perplexities of life, times of disorientation, we can reorientate our lives in the direction that Jesus wants us to take. And I'm going to ask Wendy to read the third passage, which speaks of Thomas. Right, so now Thomas, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger where the nails were, put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. Thomas was with them this time. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. <clears throat> On the radio, they still very often broadcast the words of Ken Wilsonholm in the 1996 World Cup. And the words are, they think it's all over. And it is now. I'm sure a few of us are old enough to remember those words when they were first said. But that's the thought that Thomas obviously had after the crucifixion. It's all over. It's back to life as it was before Jesus, although he realised 
it could never be quite the same because he had been changed so much. He decided on the course of reorientation, even though that was painful, because there was no alternative. After all, dead people don't come back to life, do they? And when his fellow disciples said they'd seen God, it's not unreasonable that he thought, well, they must be wrong. I've already managed to sort myself out and started to think in terms of life without Jesus. Don't complicate matters by saying this is life. But of course, we see what happened in the passage there. That Thomas, just like the disciples, met the risen Lord in the flesh and was invited by Jesus just to confirm it by putting his fingers in the palm prints and his hand in the side. It's quite interesting that when he saw Jesus, he realized he didn't need to do that because Jesus was there and he was so obviously in the flesh. And in life, part of the aspect of being people of faith is to be prepared for the surprises which God sometimes gives us. The things which we never feel could happen, but do happen. Those who we feel never in a month of Sundays will ever come to know the Lord, but coming to know him. The conversation we think will never, ever happen, that people just aren't interested in God actually happening. And, Jesus, and Thomas, like us, learned to be prepared for surprise in our life. Now, Jesus said an interesting thing about because you have seen, you have believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And some people says that Jesus was putting down Thomas there. there. I don't believe he was. I believe what Jesus was saying, there's two things that can go on life. We can see things happening and those strengthened our faith. Also, we could, there are times when we don't see anything happening and we are blessed when our faith continues through it all. And Jesus, I believe, is saying that both are blessed, not just one. And then a few weeks after that particular conversation with Thomas, a transforming thing happened when the disciples received the Holy Spirit in power. And going on from that, Paul actually speaks of faith as a gift of the Holy Spirit. That is a can be a comfort to us. That although the faith that we have in Jesus through our own strength is something that God blesses and that God wants. There's a faith which he now gives us, which goes well beyond that.
And that is through the agency of the Holy Spirit. And it was a thing that Thomas and all the disciples realized on that day of Pentecost and went on to realize as the word of God started in Jerusalem, but eventually went to the rest of the world. And they had to reorientate themselves to match not just what they could do, but what the Holy Spirit could do. They had to match their orientation to God's will in their lives and in the lives of all people. There is tradition that after all this, Thomas went off to form the Church of India. Certainly, if you speak to Indian Christians, they will very firmly believe that. There's also a tradition, by the way, that he went to Paraguay. And obviously he couldn't have gone to both. Not in those days anyway. It's quite possible now, I know. I don't want to necessarily speak of that tradition in the same way as we speak of scripture. It is to some extent speculative. But I do believe that Thomas, like the rest of the disciples, did go and do exciting things. Luke only looks at Peter and to some extent John in what happens. But that's just because he wants to centre on the, the, their particular lives in the Acts of the Apostles. But it doesn't mean that great things weren't happening with the rest of the Apostles as well. And I think they are. Some actually did were martyred fairly soon, James was. Others lived quite a lot longer. And whereas traditions that are built up on them maybe are right, maybe are wrong. I think the message is still there. That through the power of the Holy Spirit, their faith was strengthened and they were able to do so much more. One of the ways in which we can go on in our Christian lives is to recognize that God is in charge. He's not just in charge of our own lives and the lives of our friends in our church. We've got to realize that he's a God of everywhere, including the city. And the city of Birmingham and the borough of Solihull. 